How do we create more sustainable people, businesses and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the Podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. In episode 86, I spoke to Sean Dagan-Wood, editor-in-chief of Positive News, about why we need constructive journalism that will trigger the human spirit instead of creating fear. Today, I'm speaking to Wayne Clancy. Wayne Clancy is the founder of Future Strategies Inc. Future Strategies Inc. has over 30 years experience helping organisations, communities, not-for-profits, governments and individuals measure, track and monitor the quality of their key relationships with the ultimate outcome of helping people collaborate to co-create futures full of possibilities. Wayne is a creator and inventor who brings together technology, data and individuals to collaborate on initiatives designed to make the world a better place. Wayne is also involved with many socially responsible initiatives aimed at helping people work better together. Welcome, Wayne. It is great to have you on Sustainable today. Well, thank you, Tabby. It is my pleasure, actually. So let's get jump in. And how can data be used to help make the world a better place? Well, data is a funny thing, and it's so misunderstood by people. And, and a lot of times it's, oh, my gosh, what's all that data about? And, and companies have a lot of data that they don't use. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's how can smart data be used to make the world a better place? And when we talk about the human side of it, you know, our discovery has been that when you can bring in what we call perceptual data, because humans make decisions based upon what we think things are, not necessarily what they are to others. And, and it's our own experience that causes us to think certain ways. So we can measure that and help people understand how they're actually more aligned with others than they think they are. It's really quite phenomenal how people can um, actually collaborate in more ways and have less conflict and less dis- disagreements on things. And it also helps to diffuse Um, Some of those people who um, uh, have an agenda to push and use bullying techniques and things to to really create a conversation where everybody's heard and everybody can be a part of the solution. Mm. So what I'm really hearing you say is that what you actually do is you've, you've found a way of objectively quantifying qualitative data in essence. So how you, you're, you're bringing together two approaches into one. That's right. That's right. We have a saying around here. There's no better civilizing factor than good data. And when you put good data on the table, it's easy to understand and people get it. Then you don't have a lot of the arguments and the negative uh, approaches to things. People, yeah, that's what it is. What do we do? It's, uh, it's really quite phenomenal. Perfect. So then what is the human GPS system and how does this help organizations enable sustainable high performance? Well, the, the human GPS really goes back quite a few years um, in its essence. And at the core of it is um, a, a process where we understand how people prioritize things and how well they think they're working. And we look at the gap between the two. And that gap is really what matters. So, you know, something that's really important to people, and if it's not working as well as they'd like it to, such as in an organizational environment um, or in a community environment, 
um, then then that's important to them and it's causing a, a series of stress. But if something's not important and it's working well, you know, it doesn't really matter as much or it may be over-resourced. So what happened was the human GPS system was designed to measure that on an ongoing basis. And it's really, it replaces engagement studies and culture studies, but it takes it to the next level because it treats it as an ongoing process and, and the GPS, when we originally designed it, was an, it, literally a, a, an engagement study for teams and organizations and also an, one for org companies to understand their customer relationships. But it evolved out of that because we learned that uh, engagement only was very limiting. So we started to add a lot of the other constructs that have to work for something to work well. And that included things such as collaboration, trust. Uh, and a whole bunch of other different elements that had to work in tandem. So we actually, the GPS system is a human performance system, which helps to measure how people work well together. And because we worked with it within organizations, we started to see the connection between communities and how people work together in communities. And the elements really were really the, quite the same. Uh, you know, we use different words sometimes to describe what it was. But at the end of the day, for example, agility is a key factor within both organizations and communities when we're looking at that. How well do we respond together when things don't go as planned, for example? So all of these different elements are kind of built in to really simplify the whole process. And the neat thing is that it keeps the conversation going. Uh, traditional engagement and culture studies tend to be once every 12 or 18 months. Companies make decisions on old data for a long time. Um, and, and But human thought and organizations evolve uh, in real time. So the GPS is designed to help set priorities, help, um, and then help monitor changes as certain interventions and programs are put in place. So organizations have predictive analytics after a period of time. It really helps them make better decisions faster and really be on top of the whole human side of it. Because at the end of the day, that's the main differentiator that we have today. Mm. And what I, what, what I love about what you're saying there is you're actually helping people find a common language around things. I mean, I, I was having a conversation with somebody from an organisation once and they were working um, in a partnership. It, it was a, a tri-partnership, whatever word they, they used, but three, three, three different organisations collaborating. And they spent so much time having to understand how each other communicated in the language that that actually delayed the project, whereas what you're saying is it doesn't really matter what the words are. Once you've identified a common language, you can have the conversations quicker and you can also bring in all the different aspects of a topic to get a real holistic view of what's going on within an organisation. Oh, absolutely. And that's the really interesting part about it is that one of the key factors is that we look at alignment and misalignment. What factors what factors do we share and we can have very very diverse groups uh, you, you know we, we've done some work in the United States with with uh, Democrats and Republicans and worked with them on certain outcomes that they wanted in their community and we actually found that they were aligned on most of them which is really interesting for them because you know they, they traditionally have been very adversarial in their conversations about things but all of a sudden it was wow we agree on most of this stuff here's a few things we don't Let's talk about those. And uh, it, and that really is the second part of it. So what are we thinking about and how aligned are the different groups within? And, you know, in, t in today's world, uh, things like diversity and inclusion is a, is a critical conversation. And, um, you know, and, and we work in that area. So how, how do the different genders think? And where are they aligned? Where are they not within organizational community environments? Uh, where do the different generations 
work. Uh, it, you know, everybody talks about younger people and, and, you know, millennials and boomers and not being aligned in things. And what we're finding is that there's a lot more alignment than people think and that it does create those civilized conversations uh, in a very simple way. Mm. And I, I, I love what you've said there, going back to um, doing work in the communities and, and bringing Democrats and Republicans together, because as a as an outsider looking in at the US at this precise moment, there seems to be such a polarisation between them that there doesn't seem to be any effective communication going on at all, which for me personally actually seems quite scary. It is. And we, we used our systems and it was really, you know, where, where, where that kind of arrived was, was in some area, what we call conditioning. And uh, we, part of our model is resilience where we can actually measure the capacity for further engagement. Um, you know, if there's a, if there's high burnout levels, if there's a, a series of, of deep conditioning that where people are thinking certain ways without actually thinking about it where it's being driven by, from, from uh, you know, part of the brain that doesn't actually create process around it, but just delivers it. And, and it occurred to me that, uh, you know, I, I was um, out um, having a drink one day and, and um, I was near a bar there and there was a young fellow who was just ranting about how uninformed the Democrats were. And, um, you know, I said, I, I said, well, you know, I, I understand this really concerns you. Can you give me an example? And he literally looked down and he said, well, my family's always said this and my dad's taught me that. And, and I realized at that time that he could not tell me a single reason why the Democrats were so uninformed. This plays out on both sides. So it's not one way or the other. Um, and and I, so I realized at that point that he had been conditioned to think that way through a few generations. And, that, and you know, the same thing occurred on the Democratic side of things. So how do you do that? How do you break that kind of thinking? And that conflict was occurring because people were thinking that the other was wrong and they were naturally an enemy when at the end of the day, they weren't as different as, as they thought. And we did some research here in Arizona where we asked people, are you mainly a Democrat, mainly a Republican, and had them use some tools that we had to help create um, some algorithms around community priorities. And, um, you know, and, and I talked to the group and I said, you know, we opened up our U.S. operation here and I just love it. But I keep hearing how deeply divided everyone here is. And I'm here to ask you if you're as divided as you think you are. And, and, and then I went on to show them that they actually agreed on most things. And it was really quite an interesting moment. I actually had someone come up to me in a shopping mall afterwards and thank me for breaking that conditioning of thinking that they had because they were doing that to their children as well. And and that's not a good way of doing it. It's how do we talk about things? And if something is really wrong and different, then let's talk it through. But but what was happening in a lot of cases, and it plays itself out in organizations and communities all over the world, people naturally think that other people are wrong and different than they are, when in fact, in a lot of cases, good people are good people. Mm. And I, I I love that because I, I think it's the whole thing. I mean, it's one of the things that I've personally noticed um, when I communicate that it, it does get down to that language and the different words. And we, we might be saying the same things, but because we're using different words and because of this conditioning, we actually aren't able to understand what the other person is saying. And, and in some cases, we're conditioned to not understand because we've already decided what they are before we give them a chance to have a conversation. Mm. No, that's really powerful. So then we've already touched on some of the benefits to communities in using the human GPS system. But what other benefits are there? Well, the interesting thing is that it does bring people together for a common language. Um, but it also helps to show that the community itself has certain desires 
and it helps the the members of the community understand where those gaps are. But most importantly, it makes it the community member's responsibility. So it's what we call an outward delegation, shall we say, where everybody is invited to be a part of the conversation. Rather, it be, here's our survey, tell us what you want, and then we're going to implement it based upon our interpretation of what you're saying. Uh, Our approach is much different. Our approach is, you know, we invite people to be part of the design team to come in and help design our future together. Let's set some priorities. So we start off with that. And then we get back to people and we say, hey, you know what, here's some of the things that you and and your fellow citizens or or fellow team members, if it's an organizational environment, um, uh, thought that we're doing really well. You know, yay, let's celebrate, which is a good thing. And and, uh, so internal best practices and things that are working well. But then it's also here's some things that you see differently. Let's talk about those. And can you share more of your thoughts and ideas in that particular area um, or that you want to see improved? And, and, and so it really plays itself out nicely in, in enabling people to really work together for the right reason. It doesn't mean everybody's going to agree all the time. That's the neat part about this. Is it, and it really does allow to celebrate the differences that we have because we share common values and we share a common vision. But our skills and talents and working together may be different. Mm. And what I'm loving from what you've said there is you're really helping people take ownership of what is going on within their organisation, within their community to allow them to take change or to make the change. So you're not you're not overpowering them with decisions. You're saying here, we'll help you make better decisions. And I, I know that there's research that shows that when people have ownership of something, that helps them become more engaged and take action to help resolve any potential conflict within that. Oh, absolutely. And, and the co-creation opportunities when everyone is thinking about little ways and big ways of making things better, being more innovative, uh, creating a better environment, serving the customer better, having product or service tweaks that make it that much better or even community uh, uh, community operations or or when people get together in events and things like that it's you know you're tapping into so many different minds and so much imagination because you've allowed it to come forward and uh, and, and 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 celebrated it and and when people feel that they're heard they're much more likely to be engaged in the process and take more ownership of how it all happens mm. So then how has collaboration supported your innovations and the impact that you can have? <laughs> well, it's, that's a great question. And we've been all about that. You know, one of um, uh, somebody who's, who's had an incredible uh, impact on my life is uh, John King, the author of Tribal Leadership, which was, uh, a, a, you know, the New York Times bestselling book. And one of the things in John's model is something called stage five thinking. And, and I'm not going to go through the detail, but I highly recommend people um, uh, look at the work that he did in that area. And stage five thinking is what John calls is the world is great. And we as an organization have... Rather than saying we compete with everybody and finding a real a spot where you know there's there's a, where we may overlap, so they're a competitor, we can't do anything with them. We look at it and say, you know what, what what can we do together to make it even better, to have a better outcome, to have better collaboration, and by practicing that. We've been able to co-create so many different models for us that help measure things working with other groups. And it's all about how do we make the world a better place and how do we collaborate. And um, and that really has, has created so many of the different breakthroughs that we have because we've been able to have that open thinking rather than how do we beat this competitor today? It's how do we create a greater outcome together? And, and, and I think the world is going to move in that direction more and more. I think people are looking for those types of answers now. 
Mm. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I remember that I um, interviewed um, Zahid um, Torres Raymond, who is the, the the founder of Business Fights Poverty, and he he has a collaborative network, and I think. How he explained it was there were so many years of experience within his network and I, I think it was like 280,000 years worth of experience. And when you take all that experience and you put it through your system, um, there's then this potential to access so many insights and really bring everybody's experience together. And for me, as I'm listening to you, I'm just sitting thinking that this is the type of thing that would actually help accelerate our transition to a more sustainable world. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And when you think about, uh, you know, a, a million people and contributing five minutes of thinking, that is a lot more than you can get out of a few leaders who, who uh, want to control a particular environment. And, uh, and in a community environment, uh, it's not that difficult to start to get that type of uh, collaboration occurring. And in a team environment, you've got hundreds of people all thinking about how do we improve our organization. That alone, even if it's five minutes a day, is more than what's currently being uh, applied to that kind of thinking in most cases. Right? A lot of times, how do I get through the day? <laughs> Let alone, how do I make this better? That's so true. It's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, what, what, what what I love about what you're saying is because I, I, I was just watching um, Brendan Bouchard's 2018 strategy um, over the weekend. Um, and for people who are not familiar with him, um, he's one of the, the most well, well-known online trainers in, in high performance. And what he was actually saying is that he recommends that all high performers take at least 10 minutes, he does 20, but they take at least 10 minutes a day to think about the big things for their organisation and how they're going to move them forward. And what you're saying is, here you go, I actually have a tool that could allow not just one high performer in the organisation to think about it, but to help enable everybody within the organisation to start tapping into that capacity for transformation and record it in a simple way that will really help accelerate evolution. Oh, absolutely. And and we've had some really interesting experience in that area because mentorship is now such a big part of it. So you have these high performers thinking through some of this process, but also reward them for helping bring in junior people, new people to the organization to help them understand how they can think that way as well, rather than it being a managed uh, implementation. It's more of a mentoring process we're seeing a huge shift, you know, into that into that area, and boy, what an incredible opportunity when you think about it, right? The energy that that could create. Mm, totally, and I I love it because it's not even just mentorship; it really is encouraging. Um, everybody within the organization to take responsibility for the organization's success. Yeah, and, and when when you when you when you bring good information into the middle of those conversations, it's amazing how it can really, really leverage those types of conversations in that kind of an environment. It's a, uh, wow, this is a crazy idea, but what do you folks think? And then it's, whoa, that is a great idea. What if we added this to it? And all of a sudden you're into it and let's, let's go try it. Let's go apply it. And uh, you're into some pretty fun and, and let alone the energy and the positive impact it has on people. Um, you know, it's good for the organization, but it's also great for them as humans and individuals because it's stress less, it's motivating, it's exciting, and it adds more, more purpose to their lives. Mm, definitely. So then how has focusing on changing the world through data and collaboration impacted the way that you live your daily life? 
<laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, it's an interesting question because certainly I, I spent 10 years in the corporate world. Um, and and uh, the, the shift into um, more of a, a services type of an operation that we had when we were using that kind of data to create positive change in so many different areas, um, it, it's just had a huge impact on me because I, I'm able to see what's possible with all of the different kinds of conversations that we have. And, and, you know, it's not just all data where we're sitting at computers looking at data and interpreting it. It's really gathering that information and then really interacting with people. And, um, um, you know, my daily life is having incredible conversations around what is and how can we do more and what is it we can measure next and um, how can we improve this particular area? And having the opportunity to have those kinds of conversations day in and day out is just, it, it's incredible. It's just, uh, um, you know, it's, 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 it, and, it, and the other part, there's a little bit of a, there was, and it, it's, there's less of it now, but, you know, there was sort of a frustration at times thinking, I'm not reaching enough people because there is still so much division and, 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 and disagreements and, and, and negative energy floating around when, and, and I'm not saying just our tools, but but just a different approach to things that's more collaborative to things as, as humans that have evolved to the level we are, what incredible opportunities those are. So, you know, it drives every day. Um, my drive is just to get out and have those conversations, apply that type of information and help enable the kinds of conversations that are going on. So it's, it's, it's very motivating. And, and, and you, know, it, you know, there's an energy too where – People just keep showing up that are like-minded, and we we co-collaborate, we collaborate, and we, we co-create, and we think through things. Um, and and uh, you know the old saying is that you find what you're looking for quite often, and what you open yourself up to. And uh, uh, it's amazing how many people have come into my life that way. Mm, and I I love it because I mean it's it's it's, it's like what you're saying. It's uh, the the psychological con- um, concept of confirmation bias. When you actually change your focus onto something, then you're more likely to find the answers and the people who can help you. And what I I love the most about the conversation that we're having just now is that I I interviewed Sean Dagan Wood, who is the the founder of Positive News, and he was talking about constructive journalism and how the essence of constructive journalism journalism is really about shifting from that fear basis to looking forward to getting that solution focused perspective and and what I'm hearing you say is that through the data you can accelerate that shift in our focus to looking at the solutions so that we go spend more time on that and less time worrying about what's going wrong yeah absolutely so then who do you most admire and why Wow, what an interesting question that is. <laughs> <laughs> Every, I, I, ev- everybody loves this one, Wayne, and it's 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 also the one, interestingly enough, that most people find the most challenging. Well, it is, and uh, um, it, it's almost impossible to answer that in fairness to all the people that have had an impact on my life to bring out any one individual. Um, you know, the, I've had mentors growing up um, who helped me really understand um, a positive approach on things. I mean, I was really lucky to have, uh, you know, through the 80s to have people that were not just focused on financial outcomes, but were really focused on the human element of outcomes and the opportunities that were there. Uh, you know, Jack, Paul, Les, all, all these people that were big, had a huge impact. Then, you know, through the years, all the, a lot of the different people that I've partnered with um, have 
And, you know, from a categorical perspective, um, some, and, and it's funny, you know, we've, we've done a huge uh, part of our work is, is uh, working with communities in, 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 you know, most people would use the word solving problems, but, you know, we call creating opportunities. And, and we've done quite a bit of work, my wife, Darren, and I have done quite a bit of work in the homeless world. And one of the things that we learned was that um, there are so many people, homeless people, that I actually really, really admire and people that have come out and, and made some changes in their lives and have suffered far more difficulty and challenge than any, a lot of us could ever, ever even appreciate. And, and I really admire the people who keep a focus on helping others and truly, truly want to make that happen. And and, uh, and that plays itself out in our communities uh, to that level um, and out within our organizations. You know, there are those people who really empower others, and then there's the others who don't. And um, I really admire those who, who empower others to make things happen. And, and Abby, you, your work, I, I'm just, I, I admire you. And, and you're, you've had a huge impact on our thinking in some of the ways that we work from a sustainability point of view. And how do we bring in that connectivity to an environment that most people have uh, have forgotten about or really don't connect up to anymore. And, um, uh, you know, I just love that work. So, you know, who it's a long list of people that I admire. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate that you admire. And just for all the listeners to give you a bit of backstory to this, um, Wayne and I have known each other. Um, it's probably over a year now, isn't it? I think. And uh, we've, we've been having numerous conversations about how we can use Wayne's human GPS system to help reconnect more people to the natural world. So there's, there's been a lot of conversations and a lot of exciting things developing there, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to hear about. And if you want to know more about some of that, um, I interviewed Leah Haig, who's a consultant with EarthSelf, and she focuses on a lot of the evidence with um, the emerging trends in nature connection. And a lot of the work that we're doing with Leah as well is linking into what we're doing with Wayne. So there's, there's some pretty cool stuff that is coming, um, which is... Uh, there's no other word to say. It's, it's, it's that word that's been overused, but it, it is just awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And we were introduced by an amazing guy from Australia. So here's, here's the guy from Toronto uh, being connected up with the uh, lady from Scotland by a guy in Australia. That's the new world. That is the new world. And, and, and speaking of Cameron, let's give Cameron um, a, a shout out. Hey, Cameron. Um, I need to get him on the podcast because he's doing some really, really cool things. Um, just as a random side note, Cameron Brown is absolutely fantastic. It's all about making an impact in the world. And he is making some really, really cool videos. He creates multi-sensory experiences using the natural world and playing the piano and creating songs that are all about creating social and um, transformation in the world. So Google him and you will find some of his uh, music and videos on YouTube. I know that he's just fulfilled the dream of um, performing in front of 700 people. I think it was at a David Suzuki conference, if my, my memory serves me right. So we'll just give a shout out to Cameron there. And as we're talking about nature here, what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why, Wayne? I have many, and um, uh, you know, as a as a child, I was I was really fortunate. My um, my my parents bought a cottage uh, up north of Toronto, and I had the opportunity of being out on the lake and in the forest. And, and I have many positive memories there. 
one of the and, and you know when we uh, uh, purchased our place here in, in Arizona and opened up our U.S. operations here, I also had the opportunity of, of connecting with the desert and the mountains that are here. And I can say, you know, one of the my fondest memories is is a hike that I took. And it, it was after a, a particularly stressful time, and I had so much going on. And and John uh, had said to me, you know, uh, uh, stress, uh, you know, think and, re- and release. And and in his mind, it was get out, take a walk, go somewhere, and release everything. And I went for this walk or hike, I guess, uh, up uh, Tomstone Mountain, and found a you know an incredible place to to, to sit and, and really meditate with the energy of the desert the way it was. And um, I had this rush. Of, of incredible inspirational ideas and thoughts that came to me, but it wasn't overwhelming anymore. It was I was really able to stabilize that thinking and just be so excited, but not overwhelmed. And um, and I think you know we just don't connect up enough to that. And you know you know ask somebody you know when's the last time you went with your bare feet and rubbed them in the grass? And a lot of people can't remember the last time they actually did that. So are we actually connected to and, and being a part of our natural environment? So, you know, it's, you know, the mountains are a big thing for me. And then, you know, out in the forest, uh, in, uh, I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity of being with both um, and, and being able to release and, and really just connect up with myself is, is, uh, is what it's incredible. I just look forward to it. I, I actually schedule time to do that because it's uh, such a necessity and so empowering. Mm. And I, I I love just what you've said there, Wayne, because I mean, this is the essence of the work that we are doing at Earth Self, because when you do connect to nature, you do get that stabilising energy that really allows you to tap into that, that potential for creativity and insight as we start to feel part of the natural world again. And... I, I just wish everybody would do it. It's like you're saying. It's 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 amazing how how we've been conditioned out of these experiences. Well, and and part of it, I mean, what so excites me too about your work, and, and I really think that it could create a massive change with with, uh, with adoption, are little things like helping organizations understand how to support that type of environment. You imagine if people are actually collaborating. There's great energy in the organization, and People have that ability to release and go walk through the park or there's plants in the office or, or things that really, really connect them back to the true essence of who they are and, and our connectivity to the planet. Imagine the productivity that's going to come out of that. And, and it's not woo-woo. It's This is real stuff. And, and this is what we're all connected about. And, and our, you know, part of our mission to, is to co-create with you and, and really, really understand how that impacts performance and profitability. And wow, imagine the opportunities that are there. If we can actually support that kind of behavior, that kind of wellness in individuals, which then translates into high performance with the organization and financial results for the uh, for the investors. That's, that's a win-win-win for everybody. Yep, it is indeed. So how do these experiences, I mean, you've already kind of explained that these experiences, you schedule them in, they help you stay in that forward-focused, visionary attitude that you've got. But how else do experiences like this inform and inspire your commitment to using data to bring about what I would call sustainable change in a more sustainable world? We're, we're always, no, it's, it's a great question. It, and, it, and it does inspire that commitment because 
you know, the little, you know, I don't like to use word victories, but the little possibilities that we have, because I don't, I don't think it's always about winning. I think it's about um, creating a greater outcome for everyone. And I think we as humans are kind of evolving to that level. And, um, you know, I think some of the discord that's happening right now and, and some of the division that's occurring could actually play itself out into us realizing um, if we, you know, if we start to have the kinds of conversations that I know we can have and I, that I know we can drive from from our technology and, and, and not just the technology and the data, but actually putting it to work in a way that creates those types of conversations, that inspires me because, you know, when I see groups come together that way, you know, a, a quick example is, uh, you know, John and I were asked to speak at a conference um, for the real estate industry and it was sponsored by, you know, Old, Old Republic and it brought out all these people and we, we actually reached out. And to the leadership and to the um, um, employees and the, and the real estate agents and all that other good stuff. And, and we had a lot of people engaged in this process. And we, you know, we spoke at the conference and we had a work breakout session with some of the leaders from that, uh, from the real estate industry, the brokers who owned it. And one of the uh, measurements that we have is wellness and it's mental and physical wellness. And we've been measuring that for many, many years. A lot of companies didn't want to have to deal with it because it's very hard if you measure mental health you ha- and, and it's a problem, you have to do something about it. And it's very difficult to work with and has been historically. But now that it's wellness and well-being, um, there's a lot more support for it. So, so anyway, this wellness score was a pretty good score. You know, we, we work with 100 as, as a good score. And if it's at 90, it's 90% of expectation. If it's at 110, it's over expectation. It, it's a simple model that way. And the score was about 92, which is pretty good on the surface. But when we separated the two, and um, we looked at it. The the leadership group were at um, 108, and the broker or the the team and the employees were at about 82. Huge difference between the two. And what came out of that? Well, the, rather than argue about it, the leaders went, "Wow, what's causing this?" And, you know, and they wanted to solve it right away, as leaders do. But I, I said, "No, let's figure out why this is happening first. And so we had the little breakout groups, no debate over what what it was, because the data just created that kind of a conversation. And what came out of it was that the leadership group had taken on sort of a, a um, almost like a cheerleading role, where you know t- tomorrow will be a better day. Go home, have a glass of wine. You know, take your husband, take your wife out." For, for a meal, it's on me, tomorrow's going to be a better day. They were conditioning themselves to think there was no problem. So if they didn't think there was a problem, they weren't going to deal with it that way, right? So this was a real wake-up call, and quite a few of the leaders there implemented wellness uh, support programs in place for their employees and have seen a fairly dramatic change in productivity. But it's little things like that that, that just energize me and get me so excited because not only did they improve the lives of a lot of people, they also improved the performance of the organization, which allowed them to offer more jobs and more opportunities to others to come and join them. So that's really how the change works when you work in that kind of environment that, that really does uh, continue to inspire me and, 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 and support the kind of work that we are doing. Mm, awesome. So what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today, Wayne? I would say we, as, as humans, have so much more in common than what we think we do. And when we really focus on where what, a future that has is possibilities rich, what's possible, what can we accomplish together, and look at and ask the question, how are we going to do that, rather than why are we different than each other, um, I think we can create so much more collaboration. And if people just kind of look at themselves and say, you know what, am I – Am I having the kinds of conversations that are moving things forward? Um, do am I am I 
naturally biased towards certain people? And what is it going to take for me to break that way of thinking so I can be far more accepting and look at what's moving forward? And I'm not saying, and, and this is all on positive behavior. I mean, we're still going to have bad people that do bad things, and that needs to be dealt with for sure um, in, in ways that our legal systems are all set up and everything else. But at the end of the day, you we can accomplish so much more when we're working together. And, and, and we don't need to fight and argue about things like we used to. We need to look at how can we co-create you know, technology is shifting the world in such ways that that traditional jobs may not be the, the, the way that we look at things. But when we co-create, we create new opportunities together. Mm, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Wayne. Well, thank you, Tabby. And, um, and keep up that great work because you inspire me every time I talk to you and every time uh, I see your work. And, uh, and uh, 2018 is going to be a pretty interesting year for our co-creation as well. Definitely. And uh, likewise, every time I speak to you, I come away completely inspired. So I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you, Tabby. And I, uh, I look forward to continuing on with it. Next time on Sustainable, I am speaking to Tobias Peggs, co-founder and CEO of Square Roots, about their innovative urban farming and entrepreneurship platform in Brooklyn, USA. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org